this week, this month, we've been talking about uh, renewal and revival. And we're going to continue that part two this, this, this uh, Sunday. Last week, we talked about reviving um, our bodies and how we can do that through the washing of the word. This week, we're going to talk about reviving our souls. Sometimes your soul needs a revival. Your inner man needs a revival. Amen. Psalms 138, verse 7. Here, here's this one for you, Sister Johnny. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies. And thy right hand shall save me. Sister Johnny sent me the pictures, and I grieve with you. But you know what? It's the Lord that's going to deal with these situations. Because it says, Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. And so we're going to look at that word revive and what that means to be, re to be revived. Amen. To be brought back to life, so to speak. Amen. We, we want our souls revived. We need to have uh, the Spirit of God refresh us. Sometimes, you know, you ever been thirsty, really thirsty, and it's a hot day, and you get just, all you really want is some water, nothing else, so just some cold water, and it just kind of revives you. Today, we need the Holy Spirit to touch us, to revive us, hallelujah, to make us new, amen. So that word revive actually is, comes from two parts. It comes from the re, which means again. It comes from a Latin word. And vive is the, vivere is the Latin word for life. So it's bring back life, re vivere, bring back life, to live again. And in the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew is, is haya, which means to live, to, 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 to have life. And it's used as a verb to describe something. Remain alive, sustain life. But we today, we really need to be revived. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes just the cares of life uh, just wears you out. You know, that's what the devil came to do, to wear out the patience of the saints. Sometimes it's not any one big thing. It's just the, the grind of, I got to do this next. All of you are probably thinking what you got to do tomorrow. It's so easy for that to creep in and take away our joy. Amen. And, and to make us all uh, have a spirit of heaviness. But I want to rebuke that spirit today. I want the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. I want the joy of the Lord. Yes, there is a cross sometimes you have to endure, but I want the joy of the Lord. Amen. So that word in the Hebrew is translated to give life, revive, bring back to life, to give life. It means to quicken, make alive, refresh. Amen. We need a refreshing sometimes. It can mean to preserve and to let live. It also means, again, to quicken and to revive, to restore to health. Amen. Sometimes when you say somebody revived, it means that they, their health was restored. Amen. So these are all dictionary definitions from the Hebrew word haya, which means to revive or to bring life, to restore to life. And I'm telling you, sometimes that's what we need. The devil, he, he's, he's there to take away all our joy, all our happiness, and to just depress us, amen, and to bring all kinds of things. And you know, shall I tell you what it is most of the time? It's words. It's words. It's words that, that do that. So let's look at that because 
there's certain things the Bible says that you don't want to revive. You don't want to revive this flesh. We need to kill this flesh. See, reviving sin leads to death of the soul. This is what Paul said. He said in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We may not have done exactly like Adam, but there's stuff we've done. Even just unbelief, the Bible says, is what? Is a sin. Just a little bit of unbelief is a sin. So we can point to lots of people and say, look at their big sin. <laughs> you know, but what about, what about our sin? Because the Bible says no sin is going to enter there. Unless it's forgiven, unless it's under the blood, there is no really big sin and, and little sin. Any sin is sin. And so we all need the grace of God. Amen. We all need God's mercy. We all need his grace to cover our lives, to give us hope. Amen. Jesus said that the thing we have to fear is not those who can kill the body. We talked about the body last Sunday. But rather, fear them that will not just kill the body, but are able to kill the soul. But not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. That's who we got to fear. So it's not so much this body. Listen, if I grow old enough, guess what's going to happen eventually? We're going to die. There's going to be a point where God says, no, you have fulfilled the number of your years. Uh, we were at the church yesterday and I met a brother that I hadn't seen in, in many years. And he, he's older than me and he was telling me his mother is still alive and she's 94 or something. So, yes, he said, he said she's about out of it. You know, he's re, he was being realistic. You know, we can pray, but we know that there is just an allotted number of years that we're given. And as long as you fulfill them, you can say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, sometimes we, 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 we get so enamored with this body. And I, I, I don't have a spare one right now, but I know he's building me one. Amen. Amen. But God has got a better plan for us. And he's not so much about this body, but in reviving our soul. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Rather fear he who can kill both the body and the soul, because then you're really dead. Right? If the body is, is dead, well, there's a hope that you can be resurrected. But if the soul is dead, that's it. There is no more. So Paul talked about reviving the wrong thing, bringing back to life the wrong thing. A lot of us are grave diggers. We go dig up our old man and we bring him back to life or, or her to life. He said, he said in Romans 7, 9, he says, For I was alive without the law once, before he knew about what God's requirements was. He didn't care. He lived life pleasing himself. You know, there was not a consciousness of sin. But when the law or the commandment came, sin revived. It came back to life in me. And I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Now I'm going to read that in a modern translation so you all get what he's really saying. In the Amplified Version it says this, I was once alive without knowledge of the law. Right? So he was ignorant. But when the commandment came and I understood its meaning, 
it brought condemnation. Because now I realize how sinful I was. I thought I was okay because no one knew what I was doing. But then I realized it's not just what I do outwardly. It's what I do inwardly too. Jesus called the Pharisees whited sepulchers. He means they had these beautiful tombs which were brilliantly uh, plastered with marble and they looked so beautiful. But inside, what's inside a tomb? Dead men's bones. (laughs) He really got them, didn't he? He said, you guys are like white. You're just beautiful on the outside. But inside, you're full of corruption. See, Paul was saying he was a Pharisee. He kept the law outwardly. He was, you know, of the tribe of Benjamin. He paid his tithes of men. But then he realized that when, when he really understood what Jesus' Jesus's law demanded, he really realized that he was still under condemnation. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me. He thought he was all right. There's many, you go out there and you ask 100 people, you going to heaven? Probably 99% will say, sure. You know what? They're deceived. Sin has deceived them. They think they're okay. They think that they're okay. There's very few people who say, I'm not okay. I need to change. See? So he's saying here that once I was alive without knowledge of the law, but when the commandment came and I understood its meaning, sin became alive and I died since the law sentenced me to death. And the very commandment which was intended to bring life actually proved to bring death for me. God gave the law to just show us how sinful we really are. So that we couldn't deny and go by our own consciences. Because some people's consciences, as they say, are seared. In other words, they don't have a conscience. The only thing they go by is me, I, and myself. Right? If, it's, if it suits me, I, and myself, it's fine. So one of the things we don't want to revive is the old man. Now, Satan's job is to do that. To, to revive the old man. Because if he can get the old man back, I'll act. Not so good, right? I'll, I'll do things I don't want to do. So what we have to do, though, is to go a different direction. What we want is revival, not just of the body, but of the soul. And sometimes that's a stretch. The very first scripture I read, let me go back to it. Uh, am I going the wrong way? I'm going the wrong way. Let's go back to the scripture here that I read at the very beginning. And I want to show you uh, something about revival. It said, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against... Sometimes getting God's will done is a stretch. You got to put forth some effort. It's not, it's not a question of, of, of just uh, walking easy. Sometimes it's going to be a fight. Sometimes you're going to have to put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the wiles of the devil. Sometimes you're going to have to put on that helmet of salvation... You're going to have to have your loins girt about with truth. You're going to have to have the breastplate of righteousness. You're going to have to, of course, don't go out there without your shield of faith. Because he's certainly going to throw some fiery darts at you. He's going to throw some fiery darts at you. That's his job. You know, that's his job. The Bible says, why think it strange that we're going through some stuff? But we always do. We go, Lord, why? Why? Well, because we're in a fight for our lives. So revival is all about stretching. I want to show you an Old Testament scripture on that. Elijah Elijah the prophet, he had had, um, 
Bless this woman with a child. She wanted a child. And then the child died. And it seemed like the very thing that he asked God for turned into a curse because it, sometimes if you don't have something, you don't miss it. But once you have it and it's taken away, it's a big deal. And the child died. So she sent for the prophet and he came. And it took him a while to come, actually. And I want, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that thought. First Kings 17, 21. And I highlighted in it this because he is trying to do what to this child? Revive. That's it. He's trying to revive this little child. And how did he do it? And he stretched himself. Sometimes for revival, you're going to have to stretch yourself. You understand what I mean? You're going to have to go beyond what you thought you could do. You're going to have to surprise yourself. And you can't do it through the flesh. You can only do it through God. That's what I'm saying. Reviving sometimes means you've got to stretch yourself. Go beyond what you thought you could possibly cope with. Man, you know, this would have killed me two years ago. I might have acted completely crazy three years ago. So you're stretching. That's how he got this little boy. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. And the Lord heard, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again. And what happened? He revived. He came back to life. Sometimes the situations we're in look so dead and hopeless. You know what we need? We need a revival. And to do that, we're going to have to stretch ourselves. Maybe not one time. Maybe not two times. It took, it took Elijah three times before the little boy came back to life. But he didn't stop after the first. I thought, okay, it's hopeless. He's dead. We might as well put him in the grave. He didn't give up. That's what I'm talking about. Revival sometimes takes you to stretch yourself. Go beyond what you thought is possible. But when you keep on going and when you have faith in God, look what happened. The soul of the child came into him again and he revived. What we're talking about this week is revival of our souls. Because if Satan can bind your soul up, you're going to be dead. We need to get rid of that spirit of depression, of doubt, of fear. Amen. And we need a revival. Amen. We need a revival. We're going to have to stretch ourselves, go beyond what we thought we could do. Because no doubt, tribulation is going to come. Things are going to come in our life that are going to kill our child, so to speak. Take away our joy. And so you're going to have to stretch yourself today. Maybe it's by raising your hands and thanking God. You know, the chorale was singing, practicing that song. Um, anyhow. Hallelujah. Anyhow. Wow. Nevertheless, not my will. See, Jesus was stretched upon the cross. Hallelujah. The next key to getting revival is how you approach it. You can't demand stuff. You have to come to God in humility. You, 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 you can't just go and say, all right, God, you do what I tell you to do. That's not how it works. We have to align with his will. If you align with his will, everything's going to be okay. I believe today is the opening of the football season, right? I think the, I think the uh, someone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, 
I think the Bears and the, and the uh, Green Bay Packers are starting off their season. Now, you can bet that during the, the warm-up to this, they've been practicing. They've been practicing some set plays. And this is how it goes. The coach sends in the play, and he says he calls out some number, 43 left, right, and that means something. He calls out the plays. And this is what the quarterback and the runners got to do. They're going to have some big guys, 300-pound guys, and they're going to prepare the way. They're going to go out first and pull this way, and they're going to clear a path. And what you're supposed to do if you got the ball is follow behind them because their job is to make a path for you. Now, if you decide to go and do your own thing, <laughs> some other 300-pound guys are going to jump you. Some other 300-pound guys are going to jump on you. You can't decide, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> Because that's probably going to end in disaster. You have to be humble and trust the one who's calling the plays. Here's what God says about revival. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive. He's there to revive the spirit of the humble. He's already seen everything in our life. You can't tell God anything about your situation. You can ask him to help, but you're not informing him of what happened. He knows what happened. What we can do is now ask him in a humble and a con- Lord, you see what they did? I'm just turning this over to you. And lo, to revive the heart of the contrite. Ones. That's how we will get revival is when we're humble. A broken and a contrite spirit, he said he will in no wise reject or despise. So he's here to revive the humble. It says the meek shall what? Inherit the earth. That, that's not the world's way of doing things, you know. I've, I've kind of uh, on the sidelines watched all these big CEOs of these big companies. And I've been trying to find one who's actually not a jerk. Uh, you know, I, I look at, look and I see these, I study these personalities who are chairmen of the board, and I wonder now, how did they get there? Did they, do you have to be a jerk to get to the top? That's how the world looks at it, right? But God is ter- going to turn that all upside down. He says it's the meek that are going to inherit the earth. So, you can be a jerk and you can get so far, but in the end, God's alignment is what's going to happen. It's the meek that's going to inherit the earth. He says the humble spirit to revive, the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the con. It's when we come to him and say, Lord, I need your help. I'm desperate. I have no other means, Lord. If you don't help, I'm in trouble. You see, Elijah knew that. He said, and the Lord heard. They sang the song down there, uh, that we sing here, God has spoken. Let the church say what? When God has spoken, all we need to say is amen. Let it be so, Lord. Fulfill your will in my life. You give me direction because your plan is the best plan. They say the safest place to be is in the will of God. It may not look safe because David knew that sometimes he leadeth me 
by the still waters, but sometimes it's through the valley of the shadow of death. But, but, there's a but there. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. See, sometimes God's will sometimes seems to lead us to the valley of the shadow of death. But I will fear no evil. When we come to him in humility, you know, that's why God chose David. All he was was a little shepherd boy singing his songs, making his psalms and worshiping and trusting God. That's what, well, he, before he had chose Saul who looked like a king, the Bible said he stood head and shoulders, he had the bearing of a king, but he was so lifted up in pride that God couldn't deal with him. He exalteth the humble. If we want to be revived, we come to God with humility. Amen. God, I can't, I can't do this. I, I, that's my prayer many times. Lord, I can't, I can't do this job here. Lord, I need your help. This is too big for me. I can't do it. And God is so merciful. He always gives grace. He always opens a way. If you follow the blockers, they're going to clear the path for you. Right? But if you go off on yourself, some other big giants are going to fall on you. So here is the key, though, to the mechanism of revival. In the scriptures, it always comes with a breath. Any of you used to run track or anything like that in high school? All right, I see a few of you. You know, they talk about the second breath. You feel like you're almost out and then you just push through and you get a... See, revival or bringing to life, in fact, the most important thing for life is your breath. You can do without food for, well, some of us, for quite a while. Who knows? Maybe, maybe me, I could do 40 days. Who knows? Some of us could maybe do without water for three days. But none of us can do without breath for more than about six minutes. Brain damage sets in and by 10, you're, you're out. The key to life is God's breath. If you want to be revived, you're going to say, Lord, I want you to breathe on me today. Lord, I came here to get your wind. I came here to, for you to breathe on me. I need some revival today, Lord. I need you to speak into my soul. I need you to give me some joy. I need you to change my outlook. God may not change the circumstance, but he can change the way you look at the circumstance. That's what he did with Job, right? Job, the whole book was saying, Lord, why is this happening to me and why did you let this happen? When he, when he finally talked with God, God did not immediately change his circumstance. But what he did do is change the way Job looked at the circumstance. You will see in uh, chapter 40, he says, I understood that I inquired into things way beyond my understanding. What he was saying, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. It looks so unfair, but you know what? I'm going to trust you. It don't look like it's going to work out, but I'm going to trust you. This is how God can revive our spirit. By just understanding that we don't understand. Maybe he can't understand. Maybe he can't explain it to us. But when we approach him with humility and say, Lord, I know that you've got this. I can't understand why this is that, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Then he's going to revive our spirit. This happens when he breathes upon us. Let's look at this. In Genesis 2-7, the first thing to make Adam alive was God had to breathe. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And if you're going to be an EMT, one of the first things they train you to do is what? 
mouth to mouth. You got to learn how to breathe for someone who is dying, who needs to be revived, right? And there's a certain way you got to do it to you. Take so many breaths and then you compress the chest. I did it one time a long time ago. I don't remember it now. But you got to do it the right way or else actually you can make it worse. You, got, you can make it worse. You got to take a certain small, you got, there's a way of breathing to bring back life. God breathed into the dust and man became a living soul. I want him to breathe into me today. I mean, I came here tired and all kinds of stuff I've got to deal with. And I, Lord, I need a touch. I need you to breathe. I need the words, even that I'm speaking, to refresh my own soul. And man became a living soul. We're talking about how God revives your soul. He did this again in John. Really, that's the second breath. Before he left, uh, after his resurrection in John 20, 21. Then said Jesus unto them, peace be unto you. That's the first thing. Sometimes we, we get so, so many things, so many things we're worrying about, uh, you know, have to have a checklist. I got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. This has got to be done or else this is going to happen. I don't know if I'm the only one. And God is just saying, peace. Just take a moment. Just, just still your soul, calm. Then said unto them again, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now that was prophetic. It didn't happen that time, but he was giving prophetically what was going to happen. Sometimes when God breathes on us, we may not see the instantaneous change. This is when the next part of being revived comes to be. You have to have a transformed mind. You have to be believing. You have to understand that God is working it out in a process. I'm not going to tell my testimony again, but you all know sometimes God works things out and we think we understand the best way. Like, do it now, God. Fix it now. But he has a process that in the end, if we will just trust him, if we will just trust him, amen, lean not to our own understanding. Well, God, wouldn't it be better if you did it this way? No. No. When he said this, he breathed on them. I tell you, I really got, need God's spirit to breathe on me today. And we have to have, as I said, he didn't immediately change Job's circumstance. But he changed the way Job looked at it. You can, as I've said so many times, you can have joy even when your circumstance has not changed if you have hope. Because you're looking forward to the day when it will change. So you can still start to have a revival even though you're still in your situation because you're looking forward with hope. And the Bible says, hope maketh not ashamed. If the hope is in him, it's, he's not going to let you down. Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, and be not conformed. Don't let the world pressure you. Don't let the world conform you to their way of responding. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can really find out what God's perfect will is. Because if we're not transformed, we'll go by our will. Well, this is the way I think I should go. This is what I should do. And when I do that, it's always a mess. It never works out. I'm telling you, when you let God transform your mind, that's when revival can start. Because first of all, you're going to revive your outlook, your thinking, you don't want no stinking thinking, right? 
Amen. So that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, I don't know about you, but many times I've said, I wish I had a time machine. I'd go back and I'd change this, change this decision. And you know why? Because I didn't listen. I made my own choice. And it wasn't the right choice. God wants us to, if we are going to be re- revived, that we are first transformed. That we, we will understand the play that's being sent in. Listen what the scripture says. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Help, help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear? One of the first things in a transformed mind is to stop being fearful. Even though the waves seem to be coming into the boat. Even though it seems he's asleep in the boat. Even though the wind is howling. Even though it looks hopeless. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, he's setting some high bars here now. Though the earth be removed. (laughs) And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. He said, do not fear. Though the waters therefore roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Again, do not fear. That's the beginning of a transformed mind. That's when we can truly start to prepare for revival. When we, first of all, cast out fear. See, the scripture says perfect love does what? That's because if we trust God, we do not have to be fearful. Because the Bible says he cares for us. The devil will say, no, he doesn't care for you. You're done for it. You messed up too many times. He's finished. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. Though the waters therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, David said he'd learn not to fear. All of Israel for 40 days, let Goliath stand there and trash talk. You no good Israelites, won't one of you come out and fight me? He put fear into their hearts. That's exactly what one of the devil's most powerful weapons, looking at our circumstance, dealing with people, he puts fear in our hearts. You cannot be revived if you've got fear. You've got to get rid of that fear. You've got to move from fear to faith. And the only way to do that is when you understand trust. Lord, I believe you still love me. See, when David's uh, men, uh, the um, Assyrians came and took away all their families, there was no one to encourage David. In fact, his men turned against him and started grumbling. It's all your fault. If you had, you know how people do? You only catch a little word here and there. They cut their eye at you. (laughs) You know they're talking about you. You know they're talking about you. He had no, you know what the Bible says he did? That's what you got to do. You gotta, you're going to have to talk to yourself. You're going to have to encourage yourself. You're going to have to say, you know what? God chose me when I was a shepherd boy. When I was out doing sheep. It was not my choice. I didn't come in the house and say, Samuel, pour that oil on me. No, you did this, God. So now I'm going to have to trust you that you've got the rest of this story. Right? He is the author of... Now, if we take the pen out of his hand, it may not end up so right. You got to hand him back the pen and say, Lord, please write my story. His story, right? His story. His story. Not my story. Not my will. But thy will be done. 
So when we, when, we, when we have a transformed mind, then we will be able to start to understand what God's will, and then we are able to be renewed. Let's look at this. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But Paul is talking to them and says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, if, there's a condition, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of God, of Christ, he is none of his. Now that's a hard saying, right? So I was shocked yesterday. Uh, as I said last week, every time we go to town, my wife wants to uh, go around to see the old house. So since we had the two young ladies there, we, we drove around the old house and um, still looked very nice. They, they put a pool in it and all kinds of stuff now, upgraded it. <laughs> but uh, as I drove by, we, we passed our neighbor and she was out there watering our plants and she looked. It's been 14 years, but they, they knew us since we lived there for 28 years. And she looked and I decided, well, I, ha I can't just drive by. I have to say hello. <laughs> so we drove up into the driveway and she came out and she says, is that you? I said, yes. She said, oh. And then she started talking to us as if we had never moved. And then her husband came out. Now, he's a Lutheran. But I was shocked. I don't know what's happened to him or maybe, maybe our influence finally he started to talk about the Bible like he had been uh, at, at a, a, a seminar or something. He started to talk about tribulation saints and how the millennium was coming and the rapture. I was like, where did he get this? And, and you know what? Sometimes you don't know what your influence is going to be. I was just shocked because I had never heard him talk. He talked like a Pentecostal. I should have just said, now, have you spoken in tongues since you believe? <laughs> I was just so shocked I didn't even have words to say. That should have been what I said if I had my right mind. See, because we need the Spirit of God. He was telling me about the rapture and how the three and a half years, and I don't know where he got this stuff from, because that's not what's taught in, in Lutheran churches. And he was talking about the millennium and the soon coming of Christ. I was just, I was just looking at him like... What's happening here? But God says that when you get his spirit, then you can be revived. Amen. We need a revival. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, ooh, that he pleased God. That should be our to How, Lord, can I please you? What can, you know, you go into a bank and they say, how may we please you? How may we serve you today? Imagine if that's our prayer. Instead of asking God for stuff, we say, Lord, how can I do, what can I do for you today, Lord? How can you use me today? See, that's how we please God. Instead of just asking, because he already knows what we need. What we need is to offer ourselves, the Bible says, as a living sacrifice. That's what God is looking for. Now, the key, here's another key to revival. We talked about humility, but probably the next most important is you've got to be obedient. If you are not obedient, you're not going to get your revival. And we can look at Naaman in the Old Testament, right? He was this Syrian general and he had this little Jewish handmaid who told him, listen, if you went back to Israel, there's a man there, and if you went and saw him, he could get you healed. Yeah. 
So you know the story. He went to the king. He thought this will, the king would know. The king says, I don't know anything about this. You must mean the prophet. So he goes to the prophet. Prophet doesn't even come out to deal with him. And this insults him. Sometimes we demand God speak to us in a voice. Okay. I am now speaking to you. And until he speaks to us that way, we're not listening. Because the preacher said it, we're not listening. We have to have him give us our own little Damascus Road experience before we will listen. So Naaman got insulted because the prophet didn't even come out and speak to him. Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go and wash. Go and wash in Jordan seven times. And thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. What? I came all these hundreds of miles. You didn't even come out and speak to me. God, you didn't give me a dream, a vision. You just had pastor tell me what to do. I'm not going to do that because I, I, I demand you speak to me personally. You know that's how we are. Unless we get a vision or a dream or God, I'm speaking to you know. And the thing is we'd collapse if God did that. The angel of the Lord come, we'd all be on our feet quaking. Naaman didn't want to obey, so he wasn't going to get revived. His skin was not going to come back. He got all mad and, and went away. I came all these hundreds of miles with these gifts, and this guy just sent a message. He didn't even come out and see me. But his servants were very wise. They spoke to him and said, Naaman, look, if he had told you to go do some great thing, you would have done it. So why don't you just do this? See, to be in revival, you have to follow. You have to obey. There is a path that God has chosen. You can't shortcut it. There have been many cases of these uh, marathon races where people try and cheat. They, they join the race three miles near the end. <laughs> but in, invariably, they get found out. They get caught. You're not going to be able to cheat and get into heaven that way. You're going to have to do the... Paul said, I've run this race with patience. Let's read it. But Nathan, Naaman was wroth. He was angry. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord. One preacher told me, and I won't give his name. He says someone called him at 2 a.m. And he says, Well, pray for yourself. You got Jesus, haven't you? You got the Holy Ghost. I don't have to come out to pray for you. But they got mad. Essentially, this is what Elisha said. You just do these steps and you'll be healed. We want to be revived, but we don't want to do what God is telling us. Call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So he was, he was mad. He thought he would come out and do some big ceremony, you know, throw some wind up in the air, maybe spit on him. See, God doesn't have to do it the same way. He deals with each of us individually. But you know why? Because we're different. All of you have children, raise your hand. You got more than one child? And they're all different, aren't they? What you do to one don't work on the other. And so God deals with us individually, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that he deals with me individually. Amen. So his, his servant said, listen, if he had told you to go wash in, in the rivers in your town, Abana and Parfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. He said, look, if he had told me to do that, I'd have done it. If he told me to get up and give some big testimony where everybody could see, I'd have done that. But all he said was, go pray in the corner over there. 
See, we want to be revived, but it's got to be on our terms. And God ain't going to do it that way. To revive, we must follow. And the servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith thee, wash and be clean. As simple as that. Sometimes God is saying something simple and we're looking for the complicated. We're looking for some big, you know, thing we got to do. And God is saying, all you need to do is trust me. Pray. Seek my face. So eventually he decided to comply. Verse 14. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God and his flesh revived. When we're obedient, we will get revival. When we think we're going to do it our way, we're not going to get revival. And his flesh came like a little child. Can you imagine that? Baby flesh. I bet he was shocked. He, he probably had the softest flesh uh, since he was a baby. And he was clean. After years of, ho- of being a leper. Do you know even today, there is no cure for leprosy. There are treatments, but there is no cure for leprosy. Even today with all our science, there is no cure for leprosy. And all he had to do to revive was to just be obedient. Many times we want God to do some big thing. And all God is saying, just go wash. Come to church. Because remember, it's the washing of the... Makes you clean. That's all God is saying. We want God to do some big deal. Behold, let's look at this again. Behold, I send you the promise of my father. Now, part of following for revival, he had breathed on them, right? In John 20. Nothing happened. Nothing happened at that time. But part of revival is, I said, following and obeying. What, what did he next say in Luke 24, 49? Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry. Going to go have to wait. Go wait in the city of Jerusalem until, that's the hardest thing to do. Waiting when you don't have a date. Well, how long must we wait? <laughs> you ever go after Sunday church to like one of these fancy places? How, how, how long's the wait? Oh, well, it's going to be an hour. you gone. You gone. Waiting on the Lord sometimes is a hard thing because it takes trust, it t- takes faith. Now, he could have told him it was 50 days, but he didn't because it was a test. I firmly believe there was a much more than 120 because Peter said that he was seen by above 500 people. So when he first gave the command to wait, there could have been as many as. The Bible says he was seen by more than 500 people after his resurrection. And he told them to wait. But by the time the day of Pentecost, that was what the number was in the room, 120. There were some people who would not wait for the revival. Man, I've been going to that church for 20 years. Nothing happening. Man, that service was dry. (laughs) I'm not here to entertain you, you know that. If the spirit doesn't move you, I'm not going to move you. I don't have that power. Now, there are some preachers who like to huff and puff, but that's not me. 
if this, it's not a performance. You need your own Holy Ghost. You need your own Holy Ghost, okay? So he told them to go await for revival, and he didn't tell them how long. Got to wait patiently upon. Doesn't that what the scripture says? They that wait upon the Lord, he shall. Shall. There's no if, ands, or he shall. But you have to wait. If you want revival, sometimes it takes waiting. Sometimes it takes, there is a part for you to do. Naaman was told what he had to do. He could have gone home the same way he came. It's interesting, and I didn't put it in here. Remember what he told them to do? Wait at, let's read it again. Behold, I send you the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until he be endued with power from on high. Now, the next thing he did was take him out of Jerusalem. Read it. He led them as far as Bethany. That's where he ascended from. He told him to wait in Jerusalem, but watch what he did. He took him out the city. He's going to see who was going to obey him. He took him to Bethany, which was actually, and here's the connection with Naaman, a city of lepers. It was a special city on the, remember that's where he went to the house of Simon the leper. That's where Mary Magdalene came and broke the alabaster jar. Bethany is on the Mount of Olives. That's where he ascended. Those that wait upon the Lord. He's going to test you. He said, wait at Jerusalem. Then you read it. He led them to Bethany. That doesn't make no sense. You told us to wait at Jerusalem. Then you take us out the city to go wait at, at, at Bethany because it was a test. Sometimes you'll be somewhere where God seems to have left you because you're supposed to get back because it's a test. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but wait. Sometimes you have to wait. This is another part of, 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 of revival. You have to obey. If they hadn't been there on the day of Pentecost, if the 120, whoever was there and had left, they were not there when the Holy Spirit came. When the revival, to beat all revivals, started, some of them were not there. Why? They had not obeyed. They had not followed. So, and the other thing, sometimes God will tell us stuff and we don't understand it. My children gave me a t-shirt on my 53rd birthday. And I told you this before. It says, it said, they had it made, it says, because I say so. <laughs> they gave me that because they said I, 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 would, I would give them orders and not any explanation. But sometimes you can't. You know, sometimes, sometimes God says, because I say so. You're going to question God and shake your fist at him and say, explain to me why you want me to do this? No. Let me give you an example about obedience and revival. Obedience does not need understanding. You just have to obey. If you trust who is giving you the command and it's God Almighty, then you obey. You may not understand. Look at this. John 13, 5. Just before he's being arrested and after the first supper, the Bible said, after he, he got up from the supper, laid aside his garments and girded himself with a towel. This whole scene to me is amazing, that the creator would wash his creation's feet. After he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then he comes to Peter, who you know is going to give him trouble. <laughs> 
you know Peter's not just going to sit there and let him do it. He's, he wants to understand why, who, what, when. He cometh to Simon Peter and said, Lord, why are you doing this? Dost thou wash my feet? Lord said unto him, what I do, thou knowest not. Sometimes God is going to move in a way we do not know. We do not understand. The question is, are you just going to obey? As long as you know it's coming from God, you don't need to understand. You just have to obey. They did not understand what Jesus was doing, and he didn't try to explain it to them. What I do now knowest not thou, but thou shalt know hereafter. Sometimes the knowing comes later. Sometimes the understanding has to come later. What you have to do now is obey. So Peter gets into an argument. No, no, no. You ever tell God no? God, I don't want to do that. No, God, can you, can you just change this a little bit? Just, just go this way for me, please, God. Peter said, thou shalt never wash my feet. He's bold, isn't he? Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. God calls for perfect obedience if we're going to be revived. We can't have it half our way and half his way. But Peter at least understood. He said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Obedience to God does not need understanding. That's a hard thing for some of us. Me in particular, I like to understand what it is I'm doing. But all we have to do is understand who it's coming from. That's what the understanding is. I don't understand why you're doing this, Lord, but I'm going to do it anyway. Lord, I don't understand what's happening. He told his disciples, I want you to take this food and feed these 15,000 people. I'm going to give it to you and you're going to give these uh, two loaves, five loaves and two feet. I'm going to break it up and you're going to feed 15,000 people. Wow. How's that going to happen, Lord? No, you just have to trust you start. He told the ten, ten lepers, you go show yourself to the priest. But how can we show ourselves to the priest? We got leprosy. That's why we came to you. That's why we're here, Lord, for you to hear. Go show yourself to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. Stop arguing with God. See, you want revival, but you don't want to do what he's saying. We have to obey. Lastly, now, our purpose in being revived is not just to be happy to ourselves, but if you've been blessed, you've been blessed to do what? Bless others. If you have some joy today, go and encourage someone. If God has blessed you this week, pray for someone. If God has given you some joy, wake someone up and tell them, listen, God's got this. Encourage them. Revive, help to revive others, right? That's what we've been called to do. Amen. Our purpose is to serve. Part of the reason of the washing of the feet was to show that they needed to serve others. In Hebrews it says, then I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written, to do thy will, O God. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. One of the points of the washing of the feet was to say, he went on to say, if I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet. It was an example of humility, of being serving one another. This is the secret to revival, is humility, obedience, serving others, letting God breathe into our lives. 
to set us back on fire, to give us a second wind so that we know we can make it. Amen? The last thing, well, not the last thing, next to the last thing was they were all in unity. The Bible specifically says that on that day they were all in what? Probably all the doubters had left by then. After 50 days, only the people who really trusted God is going to hang around for 50 days waiting for what? When? They had no idea. He had not said to them on the 50th day something's going. All he told them was, go tarry in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Now you have may, may have been praying for something and you're waiting and you don't know when it's going to happen. But God is saying, wait patiently. Don't give up. Revival is coming. Blessing is coming. Healing is coming. Deliverance is coming. They were all with one accord. One accord. Say one accord. That means they were in agreement. They were expecting something. What were they doing? They were praying. They were looking for something to happen. They believed what Jesus said. So after 50 days, that's a month and a half. That's six weeks. Staying, coming every day to, you ever been in a six week revival? They don't, I don't know if they do that now. Seven weeks? All right, seven weeks. It's 49, seven sevens plus one. Yes, you're right, seven weeks. They've been in a seven, coming to church every day for seven weeks. Okay. But we want revival though, right? We want God to, to give us the supernatural power. All with one accord in one place. That's what happened. And then there came a sound as of what? A mighty rushing wind. And the thing that he had started by breathing on, revival came. Amen? Revival came. John 17, 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. The secret of revival is being in one accord. The Bible says a, 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 twofold, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Amen. There is a, a power in the prayer of agreement, of being on one accord. Amen. I said about patiently waiting. Now I want to show you something and then we're going we're to wrap this up. When Martha and Mary sent to Jesus to come and heal Lazarus, he deliberately didn't come. It seems almost wicked. In our human judgment, we'd say, well, why didn't he come? He was only sick when they first called, but then he died. Therefore, his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for why? The glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, John eleven six says what? When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. See, in our puny human understanding, God, you heard he was sick. Why didn't you come and do something? But God has a purpose. Sometimes he chooses us to be a vessel of his glory. Sometimes he chooses us for a greater miracle. Sure. He was teaching them to trust him. Amen. 
right? Amen. Symbolically, when we wash each other's feet, that's serving. And he was setting an example that if I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, then you ought to do it one for another. That's why we, the Bible says we have to bear one another's burdens. And part of that, sometimes as I've been teaching, is waiting patiently. Now, in this example, Lazarus died. And we're told specifically something interesting. He waited two days. Two days. Now, let's look at the scripture in Hosea that has a comment on that. After two days, he will what? Revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. See, it may be that you've been waiting the two days and Jesus still hasn't come. But you know what? Because he's, he's going to do a greater miracle than pneumonia. He's going to do a greater miracle than COVID. He's going to do a greater miracle than, you know, just some temperature. He's going to, re- that means bring back to life. After two days, the prophet Hosea said, after two days, he will revive us. He stayed two days so that he could bring back to life Lazarus. If you could stand with me. On the third day, he will raise us up. When he went there, he says, but, you, but he's been in the grave three days now. He's been in the grave three days and he's, he's, his, his body has suffered corruption. Nevertheless, even when you don't understand it, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. After two days, he will revive us. That means bring us back to life. Even if you've been in the grave two days, even if they bound you up with, 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 with um, grave clothes, he said, loose him. Loose him and let him go. See, Satan has bound us up. Maybe we've been put in the prison. But here's the prophecy. After two days, see, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy exactly from Hosea. After two days, he will revive us. It means to bring back to life again. The things that the devil thinks he's killed, you know, your joy, your, your hope, your soul. In the third day, he will raise us up. And we shall, not if maybe, but shall live in his sight. Amen. Isn't God great? Isn't he awesome? Hallelujah. Despite what we think in our little puny understanding, if we will trust, if we will humble ourselves, if we will follow, hallelujah, if we will wait patiently, if we will be united on one accord, he will revive us again. Hallelujah. We're going to close this Sunday school lesson, but I hope you have been blessed. I hope you'll meditate. I believe God has got great things for us in our second service, despite however your week may have gone. Let's declare some victory. Let's ask God for revival. Let's ask God for his mercy and grace to just cover us. Hallelujah. Father, we just lift up your name. We thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we ask, oh God, that you revive our soul. Hallelujah, Lord God, that you bind up the brokenhearted, Lord God. You set at liberty the captives. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord, and we believe, hallelujah, we trust you, Lord. We may not understand, Lord God, and we await patiently, Lord Jesus, as we follow on, Lord God, for your deliverance. And we thank you right now for the victory in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering. Hallelujah.